Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, so Sharon, how was your day? Uh, well, it was it was good. It was busy. Worked with my favorite GI doctor today. He spoiled me for all other GIs. <laughs> <laughs> the man is uh, one of the most skilled endoscopists I've ever seen in my entire career. But he about works this old lady to death. <laughs> How was your day? It was great, you know. Just... And Landon's doing well now after his episode. Yeah, he's doing well after his little episode. Good. Yep, yep. So we're we're good there. Everybody's busy and school, and Sarah's back working, and you know I'm still working, so it's all good. There you go. Yeah, she went back to work since the kids are going back to school. Yeah, yeah. So she's working again. So, so, so yeah. she's not there whenever you come home to rub your feet and your back and draw your bath or anything. Now yeah, that you made her go back to work, it doesn't work that way. Even when she's not working, <laughs> you know. I don't know. Maybe I've got something wrong, but uh, you know, we won't go if, there. <laughs> if she, if I didn't have to work, you know, maybe I would do that. Oh my gosh. You know, I, I could do that. Sarah, too. are you listening? I could do this. You know, I could I could have a dinner cooked. It'd always be grill. You know, I don't mind feed at all. You know, bath. That that involves, you know, taking your clothes off. I mean, th- this could all work out. There this you is go, great. Sarah, you know? Sarah, Sarah, are you listening? <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. All right. So we have I'm excited about tonight. I know you are. Yeah. So this is something that we have not done before. Um, Something new for us, and it's always fun to do that. And we have with us tonight Gerald Murphy. Gerald, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And so we're going to be talking tonight about your doctoral scholarly project for your DNAP. Yes. Yep. Um, This is something that I started... um, just about a year and a half ago, and um, we're, we're coming into kind of the, the presentation portion of it, and I appreciate you guys helping me out with this. So we're actually going to be the dissemination piece for your project, right? Yes. So uh, my manuscript, I'll be submitting that in another six weeks, um, and that'll be, uh, that'll be most of the work complete 
for the uh, Doctorate of Nurse Anesthesia Practice. Um, and I'm here tonight to talk to you guys about my project, um, some of my findings, and some recommendations for students transitioning into the profession of nurse anesthesia. Yeah, so transitioning from so SRNA we, to CRNA. So do we tell Gerald what he started, Jeremy? I don't know. Maybe you can fill him in because you've been kind of heading that up more than I have. So <laughs> I don't know that Gerald knows this, but um, Marianne Cosgrove, your program director, was on the podcast talking about her project about ambient OR noise. And then she emailed me to ask me if we could let you do the podcast for your dissemination piece. And I thought, oh my gosh, why have I not thought about this before? Especially considering I graduated in 2021 with my doctorate. I went back at a little bit of an older age, more seasoned. Of course, in my defense, they didn't even have a DMP whenever I got out of school. And so we've put together a committee now, and we will be doing six of these a year. We have a committee that's going to evaluate um, all the, the applications of students from across the country if they want to use Beyond the Mask as their dissemination piece. So you are the first of many to come later. So we, we have to thank you for that. Uh, Gerald, so you're you're our guinea pig. <laughs> wow, wow, no pressure there, not at all. Um, very exciting, though. I I mean, across the country, all all of the uh, the nurse anesthetists, the 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 uh, nurses that are just entering the field, and and all of the CRNAs, they're going back to uh, finish up their terminal degree. Um, there's, there's definitely a lot of knowledge being kind of brought up and, and new ideas. And that's really great that you guys will be able to help get that out to, uh, to the rest of us CRNAs out there. Yeah. And this is a topic we've never done on the no, podcast either. So I mean, I'm excited so we're to looking forward it. to this. Gerald, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you and your background and where you're located and, and so forth. So my name is Gerald Murphy. Um, I live in Rhode Island. I grew up in the New England area, grew up in Rhode Island, uh, lived in Connecticut for 11 years. I did the, when I got accepted into anesthesia school, it was the St. Raphael's School of Nurse Anesthesia, um, but that transitioned to the Yale program just before I started. Uh, so I graduated with my master's degree um, and completed the Yale New Haven Hospital School of Nurse Anesthesia program in 2016. And I've been working in Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and Connecticut since then. Uh, the nice thing about living up in New England is you've, you've got the other states so close by, so just the other day, I was in Massachusetts. Today, I was in Rhode Island, and tomorrow, I'll be in Connecticut working. So it's it's always a lot of fun, um, kind of seeing the different way things are done and traveling around. So I lived. And you only Island. had to drive five minutes, right? <laughs> no, I'm teasing. <laughs> pretty close. I mean, thirty minutes away. You know, so pretty that's not, close. That's not bad. That's not bad. So, Jer, uh, why don't you? Tell our listeners a little bit about your topic and why this is important. So the topic that I chose to work on was something that I was pretty passionate about. I feel very strongly about taking care of patients, advocating for patients, um, and, and really doing an exceptional job. And as a student going from a um, nurse anesthesia student, graduating, getting certified, and going out and working on your own, sometimes it can be very overwhelming. 
I had the opportunity to work with a lot of students in Rhode Island. One of the hospital programs closed down and my site um, absorbed two years worth of students. So I was working with students almost every single day. And I really developed a passion for, for trying to help them kind of get through the process of transitioning into their own practice and, and really being on their own in the profession of anesthesia. So what was, when you completed the anesthesia school, um, do you, you've got something to compare this to, it's, it, I bet you felt like something was lacking and you wanted to do better or tell us a little bit about that. When I came through school, um, I, I loved my program, um, my classmates, my preceptors, the CRNAs, the anesthesiologists that I worked with, that that program, I feel, prepared us very well. And when I left there and went to a new, um, I left Connecticut and I went to Rhode Island to work, I felt like anesthesia-wise, I was very strong. I was very comfortable giving the anesthesia in the operating room. But I do remember the stress, the difficulty of kind of navigating a, a new place, different people, different surgeons, different, different everything, and trying to kind of mesh that in with my anesthetic practice. And so when I was working with students as a preceptor, um, I always kind of tried to put them in um, a slightly different kind of situation and, and kind of get them thinking about not just the anesthesia piece, but all the pieces of being a CRNA. So in your, in your bio, you talked about being passionate. And, and why are you passionate about the transition from SRNA to CRNA? I found that a lot of the students that I watched go through the program, it was very stressful for them. Um, finishing up school, getting ready for their, their certification exam, the NBCRNA, and looking for new places to work, new places to move to. And... I wanted to do something that would help, help to guide them on a day-to-day -day basis. I recall just the overwhelming sense of being alone in the operating room, not in the operating room, but, but making all the decisions, making all the calls, making all, all the parts of the anesthetic um, after graduating. So I, I think back to those SRNAs that were struggling getting ready for making that transition. And I think about the, um, the overwhelming sense that I had of, of responsibility for people without my preceptors there. Um, and I really wanted to find out what's the best way to develop that sense of professionalism in new CRNAs and how they can get up to speed as quickly as possible. So in your review of the literature, which I'm sure you had to do, what did you find? as far as maybe other APRN groups, um, what they, because uh, I'm sure it's not explored in great depth in our literature. I could be wrong. <laughs> Sharon, you're absolutely right. When I started looking through the literature, a problem that I found pretty quickly was that it seemed there was, there was very limited information focused on that CRNA transition. And what's funny is already in, in just the past six months since um, I really started to hammer the literature, I've already seen other articles, other discussions, other things. So this, this is a, a topic that's very relevant right now. There's a lot of research going on, and I think there's going to be a lot more um, information that can come of this in the future. 
kind of my seminal piece that I started with was uh, a work in 2017 um, in the AANA journal. And this was uh, from Andy Tracy. Um, he did a qualitative study. He interviewed 15 CRNAs. And that was kind of, that was kind of the only piece that I had to start with um, initially. And I can't, kind of went from there and I branched out and I looked at other APRN practice and even um, registered nurses finishing up nursing school and going into the, the profession of nursing. Because there is a similar transition piece from going from the support and kind of the oversight of being a nurse and then being on their own, working on the floor once they're licensed. Well, you know, I got out of nursing school a long time ago, but believe it or not, I went into a mentorship program that uh, I went to work in a tertiary care facility, level one trauma center. And they had a program that you could apply for. And I went into it and I think it was three, it was 38 years ago, but I think it was three months long. And I got to go work in several different places in the hospital. And then you could choose where you wanted to go after you completed that mentorship program. And it was very beneficial. And that's how I wound up being in ICU. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, Gerald, how did you develop the questions for your pilot survey? Was it easy to kind of build that or was it a, a little bit difficult? I kind of looked at the things uh, like I like I was mentioning about um, Tracy's work in 2017. That was kind of the jumping off point. And when I looked at the other works, looking at um, APRNs, nurse practitioners, um, nurse midwives, a lot of the focus was just like Sharon was just talking about those mentorship programs, those, those preceptorship programs that are available in some locations. Nurse practitioners in particular, they go through their program, they have a little bit broader of a base that they're learning about. So when they come out as certified APRNs and they start working as nurse practitioners, there's, there's a much steeper learning curve. So what I learned as I was really digging into the literature that is available is CRNAs, their training is so focused on anesthesia that going out into practice, there's less of that curve that they have to deal with. They've, they've really already become experts in giving anesthesia, taking care of patients in the operating room. And with that strong critical care background that they come from to begin with, CRNAs really had kind of a, a step up on everyone. So when I developed my questions, I wanted to make sure that I included more than just that preceptorship, more than just that mentorship, and kind of look at what other things impact CRNAs as they transition. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. 
or call them at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. So tell us some of the questions that you asked in your pilot survey. So some of the questions that I asked in my pilot survey um, were based off of um, that preceptorship and that mentorship. But I also wanted to make sure that I really expanded beyond that. And I looked at Tracy's work from 2017 And he specifically identified five promoting transition factors and four impeding transition factors. The promoting transition factors really revolve around confidence in the OR, having a supportive work environment, having peer support, and interestingly, um, previous experiences as an an SRNA. Um, An impeding transition, impeding factor to transition was um, practice limitations in hostile work environment. So some of the questions that I focused in on were um, the anesthesia team consistency. Does it matter if you're working with the same CRNAs or the same attending anesthesiologist in those early stages of transitioning to practice? Um, I also wondered if it was more anesthesia-based or more um, location-based. I asked if the anesthetizing site location consistency was helpful. And then I also looked at is the support from the anesthesia staff important or is the support from the perioperative staff important? Um, and that was really kind of the, the focus of, of um, my literature review and my pilot survey and, and where I went from there. So you've worked with students on a pretty regular basis in, in the clinical setting. And were you able to corroborate what you see in senior SRNAs with what new CRNAs perceive as important factors as they transition into practice? Yes, absolutely, Jeremy. Something that I found very interesting, not super surprising, but it was something that kind of came to me as I was reviewing my, um, my, my results section. A lot of the questions that revolved around the anesthesia support were mostly looked at as somewhat important, whereas the parts that revolved more around the environment and the perioperative staff support and assistance and consistency, those were seen as very important or most important in some of some of the, my results section. And that was something that really reverberated with me from working with students. I recall in their as they were finishing up school, a lot of them were really looking beyond just the anesthetic they were doing, and they were paying attention to the other things going on around them as well, as far as who the surgeon is, even who like the circulating nurse in the room was, because there are cultural differences, even from not just from one facility to another, but just from one room to another. And I saw that my my students that seemed to be more ready for that jump to independent anesthesia, they were more in tune to those cultural aspects of the anesthetizing environment. Interesting. I'm trying to think back whenever I first got out of school, I went to work in a small rural hospital, 90 bed. They only had four CRNAs there. We did have, we had two anesthesiologists there. 
but to me, I always that it, it, it was important that anesthesia team. Um, I still remember uh, a, a fairly new CRNA there who kind of took me under her wing to Nina Parks. And mm-hmm. she helped me along. And I, then I had an older CRNA who started giving anesthesia the year I was born. I'm just glad you didn't call Nina an older CRNA because no, we'd have had the, a lot of flack the one, on the that. One, no, I would not do that. <laughs> she was actually, she's actually about my age. She had just been given anesthesia just she, uh, about a year or so now, longer so. than me. So, but that was real important to me. But I mean, it, it was a small OR. So I guess it was probably more important to me than I remember. Now, my only orientation was my first case. The ologist come and watched me from the door while I put my first patient to sleep. He goes, hmm, looks like you know how to do that. And I never saw him again. <laughs> I took my second patient in the room and I kept hearing this noise in my ear. And it was my own heartbeat. Huh. Wow. I was scared. <laughs> well, the only thing I can equate that to is I remember the first time that I drove a car on the road by myself. I, I remember yes. it as clear as day. I was driving around. I had my learner's permit. I went and got my license. And um, I had to take my mom to work that morning. And I remember she got out and I dropped her off because I was using her car at the time. I hadn't got one yet. And she got out of the car and I backed up and I thought, holy crap, there's nobody in here with me. And I pulled out and I was, I was scared yeah, to cross the road. Yeah, but tell them you were 30. <laughs> <laughs> Failure to launch. No, and I crossed the road, you know, and I, was, I, I, wouldn't, I didn't want to pull out. And then, you know, I, I kind of got to the stoplight. I was like, crap, this is kind of fun. I turned the radio up, turned the windows down. I was like, this is cool, man. I got this. And I can only imagine as a new SRNA that feeling of, oh, crap. But then your your intuition, what you've learned, just sort of takes over and you kind of fall in the groove. And is that kind of your experience, Gerald, as well? I mean, do you remember when you, you transitioned and your first case and, and what happened at that point? I, I definitely remember it um, even more as a student. Um, that was a big, that's a big step in the training process is you, right. you have a CRNA with you all the time. And then one day right. you don't. Yeah. Um, and certainly, yes, standing in the machine, standing at the head of the bed, looking around, being like, okay, like this, this is on me. Like, yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. I gotta do it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That was a perfect analogy though, Jeremy. Well, thank you. Well, that's kind of what I thought as soon as you, you started talking about that and then, and Gerald was talking, that's what I thought. I was like, oh, I know that feeling. I mean, I know. You know, it's kind of like the first time, you know, I ever did a million dollar trade for somebody. I was going to ask you the first big trade. And and you're like, oh, crap, you know, it's a million dollars. And it's somebody else's. Holy crap, what if I screw this up, you know, and and now I can do it and I don't even think about it. I mean, it's just a million dollars, you know, be 70 or 80, 100 million dollars, 200 million dollars. I don't even worry about it anymore. You know, it's all relative. So. But mm-hmm. yeah, wow. so, so Gerald, do you, do you think, you know, as you've kind of done this, this background and you, you've obviously come through the process and so forth, 
Do you think our anesthesia programs are doing a good job preparing SRNAs for this, I mean, pretty big transition from being a student, you know, not only are you, you're mostly always supervised. I say mostly because I know sometimes students pretty much are doing the whole case, especially the seniors, um, to a point where it, it is all on you. And do you think, do you think they're doing a good job preparing students? Yes, Jeremy, I think they definitely are. I wanted to kind of jump back to what Sharon was just talking about okay. with um, when she started recalling back to kind of being in that small environment and appreciating the peer support from her anesthesia colleagues. And I did want to um, just make sure that I, I stated that clearly was that the consistency and the support of the location and the culture of the facility that the new CRNAs were working with um, was stated to be a little bit more important in their transition than the specific anesthesia group they were with or um, the type of anesthesia they're doing from one day to the next. But there was one of my results that was 100% either very important or most important in transition. And that was support from anesthesia peers. So what that result tells me, along with how they found it somewhat important, because I think a lot of students coming through school, they're very, very, very well prepared. And what they want the most is they want support from their anesthesia peers in their enculturation process in the places they're going to work. Hmm. I think that's the help that they're looking for. Obviously, this is a small pilot study that I've done. I've got a little bit of information here, but I think this would be something that'd be very interesting to dig deeper into in the future. Absolutely. You know, and, and also, I mean, if you think about that, if you go from being a SRNA in one environment where you're there for a while, you get to know the nurses, you know the circulators, you know the surgeons, you get a job and maybe it's not at the same facility. And now you walk in, number one, your new kid on the block. Number two, this is your first day. <laughs> number three, you don't know the surgeons. You don't know the setup. You don't know any of that. I would imagine that the people around you would definitely make a difference, whether that was a good day or a bad day. And that's exactly what I hear you saying. Well put, Jeremy, because when you're in that instance, when you're alone, you're with that perioperative staff. You're not with your anesthesia peers. Right. They're in other rooms doing their thing. Right. So as far as seeing them in the hallways, establishing relationships with them outside of work, having lunch with them or seeing them in the break room, that's where that, that peer support comes from. But on the day-to-day -day basis, it's the local environment that is helpful in the transition. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. 
So if I'm a CRNA and I'm precepting students, what can I do as a preceptor to help my students transition to practice? Sharon, that's a great question. I think something that um, I really talk about in my discussion in my manuscript, something that's a little bit challenging, I think, for precepting CRNAs, a lot of these anesthesia programs, you're with a lot of the same students over a long period of time. And I think a lot of the time as students are getting toward the end of their program, as they're getting close to graduation, there's going to be some history with some preceptors. And I think that that gets in the mind of both the students and the preceptors. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the most important things we CRNAs can do to assist our students in their future transition is to continue to keep that line of communication open, continue to support them and continue to encourage them. It's very difficult. It's, it's a fine line we have to walk because we have to make sure that they're, that they're learning on a daily basis, they're, they're growing in their care, and we're challenging them. But in that challenge, in, in, that, in that growth, we still need to support and focus and encourage. Well, you know, it, it's, it's like being a coach in my mind. I mean, you know, a good coach is there for support. They can tell you what you're doing wrong at times, but you do it in such a way that doesn't break people down. It, it, it basically is education and building them up. I know you can do this and this is how you do it. Not you're an idiot. You know, why did you do that? Um, so your language matters there. And I would think that for most CRNAs who want to be supportive of the industry and, and, and want CRNAs to be successful, that there would be a support level there for the students because they're the future. They're the future of this industry. Well, I think what you have done will also apply, in my mind, to CRNAs who work at a lot of different places. I go into different places every, <laughs> well, not as much as I used to, but uh, it, it's not unusual for me to walk into a place I've never met anybody, never seen anybody, and bam, I'm there to give anesthesia. So I would assume that a lot of these same principles apply to CRNAs who are, say, 1099 CRNAs who work in a lot of different places. Absolutely. Um, absolutely, yes. But I, I feel like um, this, this is going completely outside of my research, outside of my literature review, anything to that effect. But I, I would assume that um, CRNAs at that stage, they've been doing it for a while. They've probably gotten pretty good at acclimating to the new environment. And I think if you look back at like the first time you do that, that's where the learning curve comes into play. And that's, that might be a little um, advantage to the 1099 CRNAs because they do that transition so many times that is true. Uh, yeah. With with practice, you, you get pretty good at it. Well, you figure out, you know, one of the first questions, if I'm at a place and I meet the other CRNAs, I'm like, tell me where the landmines are. <laughs> you know, because yeah. they'll tell you exactly where they're at. Hey, listen, this position, he'll 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 say, Do you know any jokes? And then when you tell a joke, he'll say, you know, that that's you shouldn't tell jokes in the OR. Okay, well, you know, <laughs> this is a true story. 
And so I always, in new places, I'll take notes so that I'll remember until I know it by heart. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, I've got to be careful of this nurse because she will whatever. So um, yes, I do agree with, I do agree with you on that, Gerald, uh, because you already know how to do anesthesia. But let me tell you what, anesthesia is different in every single place that you go, unless you're the only provider, however you give it. It it is. And, but I think it goes back to something I think Gerald mentioned early on, and that is confidence. You know, you walk into a situation, one, you're Sharon Pierce and two, you're confident, (laughs) you're confident that you've been here, you've done that before as a student. You know, I think that there is a confidence there, obviously, for all SRNAs and and, and CRNAs. But there's always that, am I really good enough? Am I really prepared? Do I have what it takes? And until you do it, you don't really get to build that confidence. Now, you don't want to overstep and be cocky because everybody will shut you down if you're cocky. But having confidence is good. And it just need to build upon that confidence. And um, Sharon, I can't see you in a place where you're not confident given anesthesia. I, I just wouldn't imagine that. Well, I will tell you, whenever I first went back to the hospital after 16 years, the first patient, I couldn't intubate them. And I just, I, well, I knew as soon as I looked, I go, uh-oh, this is a problem. So <laughs> they pulled a Glidescope out and I was honest, you know. When I left the hospital, there was no such thing as a Glidescope. And I looked at the ologist. Now, mind you, I hadn't worked with an ologist in 16 years either. I'd been working by myself. And I looked around and I said, well, I've never used one of those before. He said, you want to try it? I go, yes, I do. (laughs) And I did it. And he goes, well, it looks like you've done it before. I said, well, I've seen about 45,000 sets of vocal cords in my life. I know what they look like. It's okay. But anyway, back to uh, what we're really talking about. Um, Let's talk about those SRNAs. What advice would you give to them, Gerald? Um, Well, Sharon, Jeremy just kind of made the the connection once again. um, The confidence. He's smart. He's very smart. (laughs) I I think the confidence is king. Um, And I think as far as, as, SRNAs toward the end of their program, um, they need to stay engaged. They need to continue to ask questions. They need to continue to be open to grow. I would recommend to student nurse anesthetists toward the end of their program to seek out the, the preceptors that they maybe didn't get along with so well or didn't, maybe didn't agree with all their techniques and really try to learn Okay, well, what, where are you coming from? Why, why do you think that way? Why do you do it that way? Teach me. Maintain an open mind and gain as much information, as much knowledge, as much experience as possible throughout the entire training program so that once you go into that new environment, hopefully you've seen and been exposed to a lot more things. We all develop our own way of giving anesthesia. Um, the start of that kind of happens in school and we, we grow into it more and more and more as the years go by as practice, practicing CRNAs. But having that, that toolbox of all the different ways that it could be done helps prepare you for walking into that different facility where, like we just talked about, 
anesthesia is done a little bit differently from one facility to another to another. And so students should really stay engaged until the very last day. They're going to get out of the program what they put into it. You know, another thing that I do whenever I go to new places, talking about ancillary personnel, as you were earlier, is I will talk to the recovery room nurses because they know how you give anesthesia better than your colleagues do, Hmm. but how your patients are when you bring them in there. And, you know, there's, uh, I had never done robotic surgery before. And so I will talk to the PACU nurses and say, okay, um, do they do better if they get dilated, or do they do better with uh, IV acetaminophen? What do you see? And so I'll bring them out and say, okay, well, this is how I did this one. And the next time I'm going to do this and you tell me what you see. And so I always build a strong rapport with the recovery room nurses because I don't know how I can be working with you, Gerald, at the hospital, but I don't know how you give anesthesia because I'm over here in this room. So those are the people who really know how you give anesthesia. Aaron, I love it. I think that's that's outstanding advice. Great point. Yeah. Well, and I, I think really there obviously needs to be even more research done on this transition and helping new CRNAs who just gotten out of school, helping them succeed. I mean, you know, I, I think your average CRNA out there probably doesn't even think about that, especially if you've been practicing for 10 or 15 years, you've got a new, new kid on the block. Okay, whatever, you know, the, you just got out of school, you should know how to do this. Um, so I think there needs to be even a little more research done in this area to, to help CRNAs help their peers transition from student to, to CRNA. I'd be, really, getting, interesting. Oh, I'd be really interested to see a, I'm sorry, I'll try one more time. Um, I'd be really interested to see what um, like a larger study would show as far as that enculturation process, which seemed to um, be an important result in my small pilot study. Yeah. Sharon, I wonder if we could uh, talk to Lorraine and maybe the foundation take up something like that. Yeah, well, yeah. you are on the board of trustees. I am. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll float that boat. There you go. Um, so did you ever get in touch with Andy Tracy and talk to him about his study? I did not reach out, no. Oh, you did not. Andy Tracy, <laughs> if you're listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get you in Thank touch you. with Gerald. <laughs> Gerald, as, we, as we're wrapping up here, is there anything you'd like to conclude on, maybe get across to our listeners? I think as far as the uh, transition process for new CRNAs goes, I think it starts with the end of their SRNA program, and it continues into their new professional identity. Um, I think the most important thing is kindness. Um, I don't think we need to... Um, be lovey-dovey and, and coddle our new CRNAs, but I think that we have to be mindful. Hmm. Um, we should take notice if a new CRNA is starting with our group. We should find that person, introduce ourselves, and we should offer a professional opening for that CRNA to approach us for advice or guidance. And once again, going back, I, I think our SRNAs really need to think about their transition to practice. Again, mindfulness. I think when, when a new CRNA starts, I think as a new CRNA, they should actively seek out mentoring opportunities. 
even just a short discussion with an experienced peer to get some guidance or reassurance to boost confidence and advance that transition process forward, I think would really be um, one of the best things that, that new CRNAs could do. And then finally, once again, I, I think we should continue to support further research in the area. Um, transition into practice is a hot topic right now. And there's been a lot of discussions and forums that we've seen in the last year. Um, hopefully some academic folks will pick up on these preliminary findings and continue to build on them and form some really robust guidance and recommendations for the future. Well, I think that's a great conclusion. I think there's a lot to be built off of in this topic, Gerald, and we want to thank you for bringing this to our listeners and wish you all the luck um, in the future and, and kind of finishing up your DNAP here. And um, we want to thank you for being on the show and, and taking this to a next level for us because you're going to be the first person that we've done this with and we're excited about it and we want to help more people get uh, get their information disseminated out there as well. So thank you. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, some of these other doctoral projects in the near future too. Absolutely. Very exciting. Absolutely. Well, Sharon, I think it's a wrap. I think so. Well, we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. I see. I said it really you did. fast. You this did time. say it really fast. <laughs> <laughs> Sharon, if they like our show, they want to help us grow. What can they do to help us grow? Well, the best way to help us grow is to leave us a review, but make it positive. There is way too much negativity in this world already. Absolutely. We're in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country on our way to number number one, just like we are in the CRNA community. We are now the number one podcast for CRNAs in these here United States. We want to That's be number it. one overall, and Absolutely. we owe it all to our listeners. We, we couldn't do yes, it without do. you. And uh, Let us know if there's other topics or things you want to hear about or you know other great CRNAs out there who are doing wonderful things. Let us know, and we'll have them on the show. We sure will. Until next time. It's a wrap. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries 
to go to educational programs, to buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax-deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.